0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is uh, our welcome to our weekly Town of Portland podcast. Uh, we're here at the Town Tech Educational Partnership Studio at Portland High School. I'm your host, Dave Kozminski, and this is Episode 7. And uh, with us in the studio is our uh, first select woman, Ms. Susan Bransfield, uh, and also Mr. Russell Melmed, who is the uh, Chatham Health Director on the line with us is uh, a special guest, uh, her first appearance on the podcast, Miss Betsy Gara, who is actually the executive director for COST, which is the Council of Small Towns, and uh, wears another hat as well as uh, that uh, as the executive director of CWWA, which is the uh, Connecticut Waterworks Association. So uh, welcome, Betsy. Thank you for coming on.
1: Thanks, David. Good. Happy to be here with you and Susan and
2: the rest of the Portland gang.
0: Uh, hey, we're glad to have you here. So I'm going to turn it over. Susan, how have you been? You've Oh, been...
2: very well. Thank you.
0: That's um, good. Everybody good in the here. studio is uh, socially distancing mm-hmm. and we also have our masks on. So uh, if it sounds a little bit muffled, that's why and so forth. So uh, Susan, take it away.
2: Sure. Well, welcome, Betsy and Russ and, and um, Bob and David's good to be here Um, some of the things that are happening is we have formed a re-entry committee we're calling it re-entry in terms of some of the adjustments that we need to make in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the things that we're doing is we're trying to spread the word um, everywhere about the importance of wearing a face covering of wearing a mask and on Wednesday morning of this past week, Christy Carpino, myself, along with selectman Ralph Zampano and town clerk Ryan Curley, we went to Adams Food from 7 in the morning till 8 in the morning and handed out free masks. Christy has been able to acquire masks, and some of our town employees put two to a uh, Ziploc bag, and we were able to give them out. To several people. And on Saturday, which I believe is the 16th of the month, if I'm not mistaken. I think it is, yes. Um, we will be handing out masks in front of the post office. So I'm going to start about 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, first come, first served. I've been contacted by many people by way of Facebook and other social media saying, that they can use these masks and they're, they're very grateful. So I wanna thank Christy for working with us on that and we look forward to seeing folks on Saturday morning. And this is just part of our prevention and it's very important for us to wear these masks in public, to socially distance, to, wear, to use our, our sanitizer and to make sure that we're washing our hands and just staying in small groups and I know Russ is going to talk a little bit more about that. And I think the more we get used to and have comfort in wearing the face coverings, the better off we're all going to be. So that's my short report for this week. And I'm looking forward to hearing from our other guests today, Dave.
0: Great. Thank you, Susan. And uh, point well taken. And uh, I think Russ is going to expound on the on the mask issue in, in just a minute. And before we uh, turn it over to Betsy and Russ, uh, we have Mr. Bob Shea, our uh, Fire Chief slash uh, Public Works Director on the line, who's going to give us a brief update on the Aragone Bridge construction. So uh, what's new on the bridge, Bob?
3: I think, uh, thanks, Dave. Thanks uh, to everybody that's here today. I figured this would be the um, the best way to do it uh, quickly so we can get into some important information that Russ and, Russ and, and Betsy will offer. But uh, just got off the phone um, with the latest update. Uh, regarding the, the progress of the bridge construction, which is moving along. Um, if anybody's been in the area or ventured over the bridge, uh, there's an awful lot of work being completed. Uh, with that said, the east approach sidewalk is completely removed. Each pro- east approach would be the Portland side. Um, and the most, if not all, the bridge decking has been removed. So there's a big gap there, and um, glare screens have been put up to... Uh, certainly protect the drivers a little more to stay focused on the roadway um, and approaching traffic to make it safer. We haven't had any issues um, related to getting emergency vehicles on and off the bridge. Uh, Traffic is still somewhat limited so I know that's probably going to change as we move forward but we will certainly um, make the appropriate changes if any are needed the police on both sides of Middletown and Portland are working well together with our agencies to make sure that on the emergency side of it that uh, we're able to get those transport services and paramedics over as needed. So that's working well. Uh, Spring Street has, on the Middletown side has moved along um, very well. It's completed with new curbing. That intersection has changed there and paving has been completed, so hopefully that will help with traffic. traffic as um, that begins to pick up hopefully as we move into June Um, and um, additional work related to St. John's uh, Square is planned to try to get ahead of um, some of the businesses possibly opening early as well in the Middletown area. But as we know, it's a two-year project here and um, there's going to be an awful lot of work and we'll have to just see those changes as we move forward. Um, more traffic barriers will be put into place to help now that we've seen how traffic is working and people are getting used to it so they're making some changes with that along with some of our area here in Spring Street trying to re-identify it properly because of the one way is not, you know, being obeyed totally, but we're going to get there. It's just going to take some time, which is going to help our traffic. So we made some changes and agreed to do some some of that today by adding some signs, and some, unfortunately, of our signs had been removed, so we want to make sure that those get replaced. Other than that, we're in pretty good shape. On the EMS side, it's uh, we're trying to get back to a – we have to get back to – uh, somewhat of um, some activity in our firehouse is related to really important equipment, uh, inspections related to EMS equipment and trucks. and So we're doing that very limited using precautions. It's usually one person in the firehouse at a time, so it seems to be working. Our PPE is starting to get better. Uh, I've worked close with Russ, and he has been a um, a big help getting us supplies that he may have uh, that we we don't or we're not able to get from the state. Um, I do. We do make our trips every week to pick up uh, some of the national stock that's coming to Connecticut that's going to help us. So right now we're we're looking good. There is a big shortage on gowns um, with everyone, but of course those need to go to our healthcare providers and our transport services who are spending more times with the patients in confined areas. So we understand that. So we're working around that. But other than that, that's a brief. Uh, synopsis of, of, of what's happening. People need to be aware that our guys in highway are going to be out working. Uh, they have been through this um, pandemic and, you know, practicing their social distancing and working as much as they can without being in a tight group. So we're going to expand and they've really come a long way learning how to do this and uh, they're making some progress. So I just caution that our public uh, is aware that they're out there and are careful uh, going through maybe work zones that might be much more spread out so that we can spread our personnel out uh, when they're working. So those zones that might have been smaller and easier to get around might be a little bigger for the, for the time this summer. So just a caution to our, our travelers throughout the town that, you know, pay attention to your road closers, very, slow down, pay attention to those guys that are working um, out in the field, and just be careful. We certainly don't want any accidents.
0: Great Bob thank you that's awesome uh and you know things are, are running smoothly and hopefully with the reduced traffic flow and so forth the uh, uh contractor on his uh, on the bridge is, is is really moving ahead very very uh rapidly so uh hopefully that that's good you know
3: yeah it is and, and and they're making you know there's changes every day with related to design and some additional improvements that are gonna need to be make made as they found you know as they find some things with the structure that you know might not have been exposed prior to removing the deck but you know those are all minor and they're working each and every day to make changes and and make sure that there's if there's more repairs that are needed to be done they are and they're going to be scheduled within the time frame so much more work to be done on the middletown side as far as some replanning and some design work but that's all in process so it was a good productive meeting today and i think everybody's happy on all ends including the state
0: Great, Bob. Thanks for the input. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming on. Okay. Uh, without any further ado, I uh, would like to welcome again uh, for the first time uh, on the podcast, we have Miss Betsy Gara who is uh, the Executive Director for COST, which is the Council of Small Towns. And her other hat is the Executive Director of CWWA, which is the Connecticut Waterworks Association. So, um, Betsy, if you just want to uh, cover the, the, the COST hat first, I know... Uh, on on previous podcasts, uh, you know, concerning what we had uh, uh, Laurie Matthew on, uh, as well as uh, uh, John Larson, and uh, last week was uh, uh, Senator Norm Needleman. So uh, what's new on the cost front?
1: Well, there's a lot that's new. Every day there's a new issue that we're dealing with, working with the governor's office and state agency partners to try to address. In the beginning of the pandemic, when the prohibitions on gatherings first began, we were working with the governor's office to try to address the municipal budget adoption process because in Connecticut, many local budgets are adopted at town meeting or at referendum and no guidance as to how to hold those safely without risking the health of residents and town officials. And so, since then, we've been working on a myriad of issues with the governor's office via executive order, guidance documents, etc. I think we're up to about 40, 45 executive orders, many of which deal with various municipal processes. Um, At this point, uh, today's discussion involves the board or commission members that are either appointed or elected, at town meetings or referendums that are held in May, and there is some concern that you know how do we address this? Do we extend those terms of office and and leave the sitting members in until, uh, a safe we can hold those elections and town meetings safely, or is it just that we try to figure out how to hold these town meetings now um, without risking the public health? And so it's a, it, we're trying to reach out to our members, get information as to how many of them have board or commission or other appointments or elections that typically occur in May and how we can help them address that. There's also a lot of other issues. So towns, and I I have to say, you know, folks like Susan Bransfield, this first selectman of Portland, and others, our first selectman of mayors are really carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. I mean, they're just dealing with so many issues on behalf of their residents and businesses. I don't know how they do it, so my hat's off to them. You know, they're also now dealing with how can they help their high school students celebrate graduations? How can they um, support efforts to reopen local businesses? Recently, the executive order um, issued by governor ned lamont has expanded opportunities for outdoor dining and that is something that i know the restaurants and other cafes and establishments are looking forward to because they need to begin getting some uh, customers in so they can continue to pay their staff and operate their businesses so that will be happening on may 20th and they're Businesses aren't required to open, but they are required to, if they do open, to adhere to various rules that the State Department of Economic and Community Development has provided, which are very, actually, very well put together guidance documents to ensure that they're maintaining social distancing requirements, that they're wearing masks and other protective equipment, and so that we can do this in as safe a way as possible. So there's actually a lot happening, um, and I feel like we're on Zoom calls and conference calls and webinars pretty much every day.
0: Right. I I think that's been uh, kind of the way that uh, most towns have been uh, uh, conducting business. I know we've been with Susan and the uh, uh, the Board of Selectmen and a lot of the commission meetings, as well as the Board of Education's. Uh, You know, we have our uh, Portland Senior Center slash Waverly Center set up as our, our Zoom Central. Uh, as far as that goes and that's been getting a, a, a tremendous amount of use and I think uh, going forward I think um, it, it's going to be considered part of, part of uh, a way of doing business uh, you know I don't know what your sense is but uh, uh, it's, it's keeping people socially distanced but it's also uh, um, you know uh, getting people uh, together I, we're finding that uh, from our selectmen's meetings and board of ed meetings uh, we're getting a lot of public uh, you know, people that are that are signing on that probably would normally not come out to a meeting. So uh, I guess there's and good. That's in that.
1: exactly right, David. I think that is the good news from all of this. It's unfortunate that the towns can't hold their town meetings now. This is typically when they would have an annual meeting and adopt their local budget and, and other take other actions necessary to the town. And town meetings uh, are really the truest form of democracy. I mean, they're depicted in a painting by Norman Rockwell. They're a very charming feature of New England government. And it's it's very sad that the towns aren't able to hold those now. But I do think that the silver lining in all this is that more and more people are getting engaged via technology in the operation of their local government and really trying to provide input and obtain information on what is happening in their town. And I think that you're right, that the residents will come to rely on that. And so we will need to figure out some way, and you're probably in a great position to help us do this, Dave, figure out some way to hold our town halls and also allow people to participate remotely um, from their home. And I think that that will be something that we need to figure out
0: going forward. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, from a standpoint of, of parents, you know, uh, you know, babysitting becomes an issue that people would, you know, uh, you know, have uh, kids at home that they would love to attend the meeting but unfortunately can't. But now through the the, uh, the vehicle of Zoom, I, I think that enables a lot more participation and, uh, you know, a lot more, uh, you know, transparency. I know uh, Susan's done a great job uh, facilitating, you know, our budget hearings. And, you know, Susan, you've been... Uh, you know, racking your brain every week and, you know, getting the people engaged. I think you've done a phenomenal job. Thank
2: you. And and we, uh, Betsy, we are going to have a couple of meetings, actually three more meetings this month of May. On the 19th, the 20th, the selectmen will meet and deliberate. And then on the 27th, they will consider an adoption, formal adoption of the budget. And it's a little unusual. It's trying to figure out the new plan and how we will accomplish the business that needs to be accomplished. I want to talk maybe just a little bit about the role that Council of Small Towns has played in really making the adjustments that are so necessary in our small towns. And maybe, Betsy, you could talk a little bit about the information and how you've shared it with the governor's office. I think our listeners would be, interested in learning about how these decisions have been made. Um, Thanks, Susan. The governor's office has been very good about including cost and CCM
1: and the the councils of government in discussions about how to address some of these issues. And we appreciate that because they've been very difficult um, to try to figure out how we can move forward with adopting budgets in a way that would ensure the safety of the public um, but also ensure that the towns could adopt a budget without disruption. Because one of the things we're talking about now is how to position towns for economic recovery. And if, if there's a budget in place, if they've been able to set a mill rate, it allows them to then move forward and begin to address some of those issues. There are a lot of, of unknowns, and we're not really sure at this point what kinds of costs towns are going to be faced with as a result of the pandemic we also don't know how it's going to impact property tax collections so one of the earlier executive orders required towns to either defer property taxes for 90 days or to provide a low interest rate to property owners that had delinquent taxes and recognizing that we need to assist our residents and business during this time. I think most of the towns were very happy to do that, but at the same time, they're nervous about what that's going to mean in terms of their municipal finances. So one of the things that COS has been doing is identifying ways that we can assist towns by providing their funding, the municipal aid funding that has been long overdue. We've worked very hard to make sure that the bond commission approved the town-aid road funding, and other funding that was made available to towns so they could move forward with those construction projects. In addition, the local capital improvement program funding was made available, and that will allow towns to move ahead with various building construction projects. And that's important because those create jobs, and those will end up bringing money into our communities, and ensuring that we have the infrastructure in place that's necessary to continue to support and attract our local business community.
2: Right. Good point. So no. what we've
1: been <clears throat> trying to do is be the conduit between our members, which are the small towns. We have approximately 115 15 small towns that are members of COS, and find out what are the issues that they're dealing with. How can we assist them in addressing these things, either via executive order or by some kind of relaxation of a regulation or rule. And the members have been great about providing us with that input. It's it's absolutely critical that we have that. Because I don't think anybody really understood all of the different issues that towns are dealing with on a daily basis until town halls largely had to close during the pandemic and people were wondering, well, how do we get our building permits? How do we ensure that um, we get our dogs licensed and their rabies vaccine information updated and all the things that the local health directors do? And so I think people will have a greater appreciation for those activities for their town halls after this pandemic is over. Um, but really what we are is just providing the resources to our towns letting them know what we're doing and if they have any issues that they need to address if whatever it is whether it's a school related issue enforcement issue we're there to reach out to the administration and the state agencies to try to address that
2: yeah and you've done a great job i mean there's been a lot of instances where we were wondering in in our towns is this going to work how are we going to be able to be certain that as you said, the dog licenses are collected, or whether the primary that's gonna be held on August 11, how is that going to work? And by extension, there's concerns about how the presidential election and the other folks that are gonna be elected in November will occur. And that constant communication among the towns and the state is so critical. And to have a professional organization like COST and CCM be able to be that conduit is critically important. You know, we have a lot of concerns about the voting process, Betsy, and that's something I'm working with our town clerk and our registrars on, and it's something that our listeners are going to have to pay close attention to in terms of participation in that August 11th primary and then, as I said, in November for our general election. These these elections are critical to the democratic process, and we make certain that people will be able to vote and have their say in those elections.
0: Oh, no, uh, definitely. Yes, I agree. Definitely. Um, that, that's great, Betsy. I appreciate it. Uh, okay, putting on your other hat now, <laughs> uh, you and I work together uh, quite closely on the the, uh, the, the waterfront. So tell, tell us what's happening on uh, the, the CWWA front.
1: Well, water companies, whether they're municipal, regional, or private water companies, are considered essential services. And, of course, we understand that. We're very fortunate in Connecticut that our water companies have, really stepped up to ensure that there hasn't been any disruption in providing drinking water to residents and businesses, and they are taking measures to ensure the safety of their employees. It has been a struggle, though, because they've had to really change the way that they operate. A lot of them, for example, will have their certified operators on separate shifts so that if one of them becomes ill they don't end up transmitting it to the other operator, because those people are absolutely critical to the operation of the system. And so, there's other things that they are looking at. We were working with them to see how we can help them address certain issues that they're facing. So, for example, water companies are required to do periodic meter testing, which involves going into the premises of a customer. customer. And we're concerned that that would put the employee at risk of, of uh, getting the coronavirus, and how can can we suspend that requirement at this time? Is it mission critical that these tests that this testing be conducted? Other things that we're looking at are the uh, watershed inspections. Towns, uh, municipal water companies, and other water companies are required to perform watershed inspections, and also cross-connection inspections and testing. And again, these things put them in contact with customers, and we want to make sure that we're not going to put them at, in harm's way by doing these kinds of inspections, and can we at least waive the inspections for at, at this point in time. But I think one of the most important things to remember, you know, when we first had the restrictions, um, as a result of the pandemic, people were rushing out and buying different products um, because they were concerned about that they would, there would be a shortage. Well, the good thing is that everybody agrees that the water is safe during this time and that you don't need to go purchase bottled water. You can rely on the water from your tap. It, it's clean, it's safe, and it's uh, we're fortunate in Connecticut to have some of the highest quality water in the world. So that's been good news. I think what we're going to have to struggle with is that because of all the building closures, restaurant closures, that the revenues have been down. And unfortunately, the cost of maintaining the distribution system and the treatment operations doesn't change. That's probably gone up a bit in terms of the pandemic. Um, but so there, we're going to have to figure out how that's going to impact customer rates going forward.
0: No, definitely. And then when, when Laurie was on, uh, you know, one of their uh, health department's concerns is that, you know, these, these water, or seasonal water systems that have been shut down or, uh, or even, even regular water systems that perhaps have been, uh, uh, you know, hibernated, whatever, or, you know, when, when they're brought back up online, that uh, everything is done procedurally correct and, uh, again, ensuring that uh, water quality as far as that goes. Well, that's
1: a good point. We actually included the Department of Public Health guidance document in our bulletin to both towns and to the water companies because you have to realize that if your building's been closed for a long period of time, that there are certain things you need to do to make sure that you address any stagnant water issues um, which could compromise public health. So that information is available at the State Department of Public Health's website. We've also posted it on the CWWA website at cwwa.org and at um, ctcost.org
0: cost website. Great, great. Well, well. thanks, Betsy. And I think uh, uh, the, the annual conference has been postponed, correct?
1: Yes, that's one of the things that is very troubling. Um, people join associations in large part because of the association, you get to meet people, share information with your colleagues, uh, gain expertise on various issues through these association meetings. And so, every May, the Connecticut Waterworks Association and our sister organization, the Connecticut Section of the American Waterworks Association, would hold a meeting to provide updates on various issues. And to also give people the chance to just get to know each other as an industry. It's a very collegial industry. And I think people rely on some of the tips that they get from just talking to their colleagues about some of the issues that they're facing. And unfortunately, we're not able to do that this year. However, we are discussing holding a virtual annual meeting I've invited folks from the State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection to present on that, and that is something that we can hold via Zoom. It's not the same thing, but I think it will be helpful to give members the opportunity to discuss in in real time some of the challenges that they're facing due to the pandemic and to share strategies and best practices uh, going forward.
0: Sure, and not to mention, you know, it allows the... uh the operators, in uh, the water systems to, uh, keep up their continuing education units. So that's, that's so important to, uh, uh, you know, to keeping their licenses and so forth. So that's, uh, it's an integral part. I know, uh, you know, for my other hat in the music industry, uh, you know, our, uh, summer trade show and, and meeting was, was also canceled. So, uh, it, it does, you're right. It absolutely does affect, uh, it, there's a definitely a trickle down effect. So, okay. Betsy, thanks so much. Um, I don't know, Susan, do you have yeah, any?
2: No, Good to hear from you, Betsy, and, and thank you. Please continue your work. We appreciate it, and we need it, especially as our businesses and our retail, food, all the different businesses are coming back into being open in whatever capacity is appropriate. So we appreciate all the work you're doing. It really means a lot here in our town of Portland. So thank you, Betsy. Great. Oh, you're very welcome, Susan, and thanks for all that you folks do. uh, It's been
1: really eye-opening to see everything that uh, the our first electmen and mayors do on behalf of their residents. So we're very much appreciated.
0: Great, Betsy, thank you. Also, if uh, you know the section or um, you know CWWA uh, would like to consider uh, working on something and and doing a podcast, uh, please reach out because we have the studio here and uh, we're finding. Um, that it's a, a a great way to uh, get information out to the, to the public, and uh, it's it's unbelievable the amount of listens that we're getting. Uh, we're getting anywhere between four and eleven hundred listens per episode. So um, oh, well. that that that's a great uh, you know uh, uh, you know vehicle to get things out. So again, thanks Bessie for coming on, and uh, without any further ado. Uh, I think Russ, we're going to bring you in out of the bullpen here. So, uh, Mr. Russell Melman, who is actually the, uh, Chatham health director. And I know, uh, Betsy mentioned, the, the uh, uh, the situation with small towns and graduations. And, uh, I know Russ and I attended a meeting earlier this morning, uh, concerning our graduation. So, uh, Russ, and I'm going to turn it
4: over to you and uh, what's happening in the Chatham health district. Sure. Uh, happy to come in and back clean up and to be in the studio for the first time. Uh, I can hear everybody so much clearer than when I'm on the phone. I, I assume Betsy had some struggles as I've had hearing people on the phone, but really appreciate hearing from Betsy. Uh, in particular, I, I want to touch on something that you said, Betsy, and that was that you're you're providing, you're acting as something of a conduit for information to our small towns and our businesses. And in a time when information is so important and the volume of information out there is so large, it's important to have agencies like like yours do that for our citizens and our businesses. And uh, so I appreciate everything you're doing. As I've been doing uh, each episode, I'll just touch on some numbers here. Uh, in Portland, we uh, have had 53 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 11 fatalities. So since last week, we've really held steady. And, and that is really good. We are seeing that for the most part across our towns in Chatham Health District and since the end of april so for the last two weeks we have seen a noticeable decline from our peak in new cases we are still seeing new cases one two sometimes three every day uh but we were at four five or six every day so we really are down now it's safe to say off the peak and uh, so everything people have been doing has been working and so i just want to remind everybody to continue doing all the things you've been doing we have not Vanquish the virus it's not gone it's still there and what we've been doing has been working so we need to continue to do all those things like wear masks stay six feet away stay home from work don't go out if we're sick in particular if anybody in our household has been sick sure. stay home this virus can be transmitted before you start with symptoms so we we just don't know if just because we're not coughing and have a fever that we may not be exposing others it's really important that's why the masks are so important. Right, you just right. don't know when you're becoming infectious. And we spread this virus from our mouths and noses when we cough or sneeze. So if we're wearing a mask, and also not for nothing, when we talk or scream or sing, anytime we're using our mouths and they're open and we're expressing our respiratory uh, secretions, it's getting out into the environment. So mask wearing is really important. I wanna spend most of my time today talking about reopening. Uh, sort of writ large and I'll get into some details but uh, the governor's phase one plan is seems to be moving forward Uh, we are seeing reduced hospitalizations fewer cases so that's all good news Uh, we're working with a lot of businesses right now on how they can implement the guidance that the state has put forth to open safely and these are all very new to many businesses and businesses have been operating for the same way for many years and operating a different way while keeping everybody separate and having all these policies is a big, big challenge. So I want to, for our listeners out there to preach patience, uh, we're, we're not getting back to normal. We are moving towards some new normal. And If you decide that you want to go out and go out to eat to a restaurant that's opened up for outdoor seating uh, and you're not wearing a mask and they ask you to kindly wear one or go home, be patient with them. It's it's for their protection and they're wearing a mask for your protection. They're seating you apart from others and asking that you not visit another table. Even if you see a friend or a neighbor that you haven't seen in two months sitting at the next table, we're asking and they're going to be asking you not to get up and go visit with them. Because uh, that's how this virus spreads, is, is going around to different people. The more contacts you have with others, if you're sick and infectious, the more we're going to spread the virus. So please be patient with our business owners as they start to operate. Our salons, our restaurants are going to have a really big challenge ahead of them if they want to start operating. Uh, and for restaurants, for outdoor dining, um, I'm hearing a lot of... Uh, people asking questions about what's the difference between being six feet apart inside and being six feet apart outside. Uh, It may seem random to you, but there is science behind why we are starting with outdoor seating and not indoor seating. And it has to do with dilution. And, And there's an old adage in environmental health and public health that goes like this. The solution to pollution is dilution. Usually we're talking about wastewater and things like that but we can also talk about virus. And when you deal with a respiratory virus, something that gets in the air, and that's how it's typically transmitted, the more air you have in between you and the next person, the more dilute that virus is going to be. And you may not expose somebody to an infectious dose of the virus. Yes, in theory, one viable viral particle can get in your nose and you could be infected, but typically it takes more than that. There is an infectious dose for viruses. We're not sure what that is for this particular virus yet, but there is one. And so when you deal with air and airflow, when you're outside, there's more air, there's more airflow. It's circulating all around you and diluting that virus if it's coming out of your mouth or the person that you're sitting with or the person sitting at the next table. So it is safer by nature when you're outside with more air even given the same space between you and somebody else compared to when you're inside there is less air movement inside typically when you go into a restaurant especially a small restaurant there will be a ventilation system the air comes in one way and it goes out another and it creates usually a linear flow across a room air comes in and it goes out on the other end of the room and if you are sick and you're at one end of the room and you are expressing viral particles into the air That air handling system is going to move the virus very neatly across the room to everybody else in that room. And so there's less air. The air is moving in one particular direction, usually inside. And so there is a greater risk to have more exposures to an infectious dose of the virus when you're inside compared to outside. So that's why we're starting with outdoor dining. It is safer. Uh, We don't want walls, blocking the airflow. We don't want the air to be sitting around one table and creating, if you can picture it, a cloud of contagion descending on everybody in that room. But there have been study after study about how respiratory infections spread in small enclosed spaces. And you can literally follow the directionality of the airflow and see how many people got sick downwind and how many didn't get sick upwind. So, I just wanted to put that out for everybody so that they understand why we're not bringing people indoors and why we're asking people not to crowd around bars and things like that. This is all a little bit of an experiment. I know people want certainty and clarity and to know everything is either perfectly safe or perfectly unsafe. And we're not in that place right now. We're in the place where we are dealing with mitigation. That doesn't mean we're going to get to zero. It's not elimination of risk. We're never going to get to elimination of risk because we are social creatures. We have families. We do have to go to work. So we're always going to be around people. So we're dealing with mitigating risk, reducing risk, not eliminating risk. I can't guarantee you that it's going to be zero risk when you go outside and eat outdoor dining. Again, it's not zero risk, but the risk will be low if everybody follows those precautions. Because the risk isn't gonna be zero, that's why we're also encouraging people who are at high risk for severe consequences of a disease. Those are people, older adults, people over 65, people who have underlying immune system issues or chronic diseases, to really refrain from going out into those public spaces right now. Uh, you are still at high risk for severe disease, so your exposure is not gonna be the same as somebody else's. Your outcome will not be the same as somebody else's. So, so they're they're different, I'd say, Uh, stratifications of risk for people in our communities. So still be careful. And I give everybody out there who's listening permission that when you are in a public setting and you see somebody not following the rules, if you're not comfortable, remove yourself from that situation. Um, It's about uh, being comfortable with your own protection, your own safety, understanding how you feel in a given scenario, Um, We are getting calls from members of the public regularly saying I was in XYZ store and I saw somebody not wearing a mask and please investigate. Or uh, I was somewhere, I went to a grocery store and they weren't taking people's temperatures and I thought that people were supposed to do those things. There is a uh, now a very clear way that complaints about violations of these Department of Economic and Community Development and Governor's rules go and it is to the 211 system when you go to restaurants or you go to hair salons or things like that now they will have signs up that direct you to call 211 with those complaints um but we will never be in a place where every complaint can be investigated thoroughly uh, it's just not feasible for the health department or the police department to be the mask police to go out and uh, do patrols and when somebody says I saw somebody without a mask to, you know, drop down from a helicopter from ropes with their SWAT gear and shut down the establishment. It just isn't feasible. So I want everybody to understand that while we are opening up and while we are having all these rules to manage your expectations. And that's why I'm emphasizing some personal responsibility. Every one of us has to take personal responsibility for following the rules and also if you see something that makes you feel uncomfortable to just remove yourself from that situation. Sure. Um, don't think that it's just going to be uh, fine everywhere because it, it's not going to be. Absolutely. You know, I know Russ uh, being that uh,
0: just the time of the year it is obviously uh, schools are not going back, uh, you know uh, for the rest of the year. And I know uh, graduations are looming uh, in, in all of the towns. So uh, I know uh, you and I were in a meeting this morning. So uh, you know, Uh, just kind of allude what, what people should expect. Uh, And, uh, you know, because a lot of people are are upset because they can't have a in-person graduation
4: and, you know, uh, just expound on that a little bit. Sure. So uh, you can imagine a normal graduation ceremony, a hundred, 200 students, all sitting shoulder to shoulder uh, in chairs, family members surrounding them, lots of handshaking and hugs and speeches and things of that nature. Uh, I would be shocked if I saw anything like that this year. Uh, I am not recommending that anybody have anything like a normal graduation ceremony. What we can perhaps expect is virtual graduation ceremonies where you're not in person at all. Uh, I am in uh, discussions with some of our municipalities, Portland included, uh, about different other social distancing type of options for graduation ceremonies that may include people staying in their cars uh, and perhaps coming up to a stage in small groups of five where the families get out of the car, they stand at the at bottom of the stage. The five students come up staying six feet apart. They walk up to the stage. They pick up their diploma off a table. There is no handshaking and no hugging. You get your picture. You get to see you walk across the stage. There's going there are going to be a range of graduation ceremonies, but there will not be anything like a large mass of people standing on a field or in a gymnasium, uh, shaking hands, hugging uh, and the like. It's just not going to happen this year. So I think we'll probably see the last thing to sort of come back when this pandemic really starts to uh, abate because we've got a vaccine, hopefully, is those large public gatherings. We're already hearing about a lot of fairs and festivals the things that people love to do in the summer. You know, fest in New London brings 100,000 people a day. That was canceled. We're just not going to see those things. Um, so graduation is one of those things. It's a large social gathering. And anytime you have a bunch of people in a space together, even if you're staying six feet apart, like I said, that mitigates the risk. It does not bring the risk to zero. Sure. So when you have many, many people in one space together, And you have one or two people sick you just increase the likelihood that you're going to get transmission and when you increase the likelihood of transmission in those settings you increase the likelihood of transmission to a lot of people sure so we're really going to not see those kinds of normal graduations i'm sorry to disappoint everybody out there who's listening uh i really feel for the class of 2020 this is uh, a very very difficult time for many of those folks especially the ones who have been working just so hard to do so well and maybe there are valedictorians out there who are really looking forward to giving speeches and things like that. And maybe it's going to have to be virtual. So sure, yeah.
0: And I, and I think too the parents have to understand too. I know they feel for the kids, and and uh, like I say, it's the the class of twenty twenty, uh, unfortunately has uh, really come up short in a lot of areas. Uh, so understandably. So uh, I'm glad you touched upon that. Thanks. Yeah.
4: And I, just one one more thing. And I I I don't want to. Uh, I'll just be careful with what I say here, but whenever you get 50 young people together, high school students who've been cooped up in their homes for the better part of two months, haven't seen their friends, the, even if you give them all the best instructions of how to stay six feet apart, it, it doesn't take too many, and it doesn't take a, a vivid imagination to picture a few of those folks perhaps not following all the rules. Uh, high school pranks, right? There's a nice long tradition of pranks uh, I would hate to see uh, our high school students decide the best prank would be for 50 of them to jump up, get on the stage and get a selfie together, you know, the biggest pandemic prank ever. But, you know, what that might result in is illness and perhaps the worst outcome is which somebody dies. So uh, it's really hard to uh, have everybody follow the rules when you have a lot of people together. It just is really difficult.
2: As you said, we're social creatures. It's something we learn from early days, preschool days, that we're supposed to be interaction and be kind to one another and hug one another and be part of a community. And this is just so foreign to us in terms of our training, particularly in our schools and in the whole atmosphere of working as a team. I mean, that's something that we're taught from the time we're very young. And I, But I do know that people are concerned about their loved ones, and we've all been touched by the unfortunate deaths that have occurred as well as the, the very um, difficult times that people are having right now, both economically as well as health-wise. So there is a deeper understanding that we all have of what it is you as our health profession are telling us to do. There are some other celebrations I'll just point out to the listeners that, that will be happening, and I don't know all of them because they're still in planning stages, but for our Memorial Day celebration, we will be announcing some of the celebration and the honors and the tributes to our fallen heroes that we'll be talking about. One of the things that our high school students are going to do through Ms. Kristen Novak is there are going to be some songs and some singing that will be available for all of us to listen to and to honor our soldiers and those that have died. So we look forward to that. There's also going to be in terms of our graduations, quote unquote, um, many of our college students, bachelors, masters, PhDs, doctorates, those folks have accomplished a tremendous amount and yet they're not having celebrations. So just a very token of our appreciation and honor to them we're going to put up a couple of signs in front of the town hall and in front of the police department on main street honoring our college graduates and then i know that within our high school each student is going to have a lawn sign with their name and a celebration and a thumbs up and a congratulations to them those are going to be located near our brownstone intermediate school on main street for a period of time And I understand then they'll be in each of the students' lawns throughout the town. So there are ways that we want to exemplify and and certainly personify the, the honor that our students have achieved and not for the common way of doing it, we'll be doing it in another way. And that's something that I hope the listeners stay tuned for and remember to congratulate people in their own way.
4: Great. Thanks. Isn't that, I, that, I think that's great.
0: Yeah, I think that is. So anyway, um, guys, thank you so much. I think um, that's bringing our episode number eight. Okay. Uh, to a close. Uh, and again, uh, Betsy, thank you so much uh, for coming on and giving us updates for uh, both CWWA and cost and uh, well, uh, please very welcome. Please stay safe and uh, stay home and uh, enjoy yourself. And again, I appreciate your participation. And again, uh, Mr. Russ Melmott, who is a a frequent flyer here on the uh, weekly podcast for the Town of Portland. Thanks again, Russ, for all your uh, valuable and and, and vital information, as well as our commander in chief here, uh, Ms. Susan Bransfield. So uh, on behalf of us all here, uh, we're broadcasting or recording live here at the Town Tech Educational Partnership Studio at Portland High School. and again, this is going to be aired on the Comcast channel. Uh, and again, uh, Betsy, you sent us a good picture. So uh, yeah, we'll, we're going to put that up there and so forth. And, uh, uh, and so that everybody knows who's talking, when they're talking uh, and so forth. So uh, again, from all of us here at the studio, uh, I'm your host, Dave Kuzminski. And please uh, stay home, stay safe and wash your hands.